This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Tax Records, the Hall and Wilcox Tax Themes podcast series. My name is Frank Hinoporos and I'm a partner in the tax team at Hall and Wilcox. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Todd Bromwich, who is a senior associate in our tax team, and we're going to discuss the Pandora Papers. Hi, Frank, and thanks for having me on. The Pandora Papers certainly received a lot of media attention when they were published. Uh, It's not every day that millions of documents detailing the financial dealings of the world's rich and powerful are leaked. Uh, We're going to delve into some of the tax implications of the papers, So why these papers are a big deal from a tax perspective, can the ATO use this information and what can you do if you're named? So Frank, let's start with the obvious question. Uh, What are the Pandora Papers? The Pandora Papers uh, describes a massive data leak that was obtained by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists uh, from around 14 different sources. And it's estimated to comprise approximately 12 million sensitive documents. And what kind of documents are they? Well, they're documents that show uh, details of uh, offshore bank accounts, uh, companies, trusts and uh, asset holdings, and the identifying details of a number of relevant taxpayers. Uh, the uh, Additionally, the... Uh, ICIJ on its website has put the information together in a form that can be readily searched by anybody uh, using as a search um, using as a search reference a person's name or the name of an entity. And you said it's a leak, but where does where does this information and documents actually come from? Well, the uh, sources are unknown, but uh, in the past, similar data has been obtained by the leaking of information and documents uh, from offshore professional services firms. For the Panama Papers in 2016, it was reported that the source of the leaked documents uh, was an unnamed whistleblower at a Panamanian law firm called Mossack Fonseca. Similarly, the Paradise Papers, leaked in 2017, contained documents that reportedly originated from the offshore law firm Applebee's. Well, given the increase in global mobility in recent decades, it's not that uncommon to have assets and structures located in multiple countries. So why does this leak actually matter? Well, as a matter of principle, it's not illegal for an Australian resident or a resident of anywhere, for that matter, uh, to have an offshore uh, legal structure or offshore assets. In many cases, if not in most, uh, there will be legitimate commercial reasons for having uh, an offshore structure, especially if a person uh, or a business has overseas trading activities or overseas assets. And we see this more now as Australia has become more globalised and Australian residents will more likely be part of a um, global high wealth family group 
or Australian businesses will have expanded their uh, business interests offshore. So, so then what's the problem? Well, the problem is from a tax perspective, um, secrecy and the fact that some of this uh, stuff, some of this asset uh, base or income is intentionally hidden and not properly disclosed for Australian tax purposes. So if there's not been appropriate transparency or uh, disclosure uh, by individuals or entities that are Australian residents, uh, it may be the case that there is income that has not been uh, properly brought um, uh, to account in Australia for tax purposes uh, correctly, or uh, that there are assets which are uh, not within the Australian tax net. Okay. So... If there's some information in this leak that the ATO takes an interest in and they might not have been previously aware of, can the ATO use this information to commence an audit? Sure. The short answer to that is that, uh, yes, they can and, and yes, they have. And uh, I mean, it's, a, um, it's a well-known quote that um, a thing once seen uh, cannot be unseen. And once the ATO has the information or has access to information from an offshore leak, uh, the ATO may well uh, compare that information to uh, information they have about a taxpayer, an Australian resident taxpayer, through that person's uh, tax filings, and will ask for an explanation of any differences or any gaps uh, in that information. The other thing that people should be aware of is that um, it has been reported and there is um, experience that uh, on occasion these audits and reviews um, can commence and can be conducted without the taxpayer's uh, knowledge. That's what might be referred to or is commonly referred to as a covert audit. And what if the information is subject to legal professional privilege? Because Generally speaking, that information is protected and taxpayers don't have to hand it over in an audit. Well, generally speaking, that is correct, Todd. But um, even if information uh, that has been leaked uh, through the ICIJ or elsewhere is subject to legal professional privilege, uh, following the decision of the High Court in Glencore International AG and the Commissioner, that by itself would not stop the Commissioner from making use of documents that come into uh, his position um, following an unauthorised uh, offshore leak. The uh, Glencore decision, in brief, uh, involved the Paradise Papers. That was one of the earlier leaks and uh, confidential documents that were produced by uh, the offshore law firm Applebee's for Glencore, a very significant global business. These confidential documents were leaked and consequently, they were released into uh, the public domain. So Glencore uh, submitted that uh, because these were uh, privileged documents, the documents should be protected and the commissioner should not have any benefit or the ability to place reliance on those documents. However, the High Court ruled against Glencore and, and did not accept that submission. And in giving its reasons, the High Court said that while legal professional privilege could shield a litigant from their obligation to disclose a privileged document, it does not necessarily provide a basis for a cause of action against a party who uses uh, privileged information. 
uh, particularly in circumstances where documents have come into the public domain and even if uh, documents have come into the public domain in a way that was unauthorised or unintended. So um, following this decision, the somewhat memorable phrase has been coined that uh, legal professional privilege can be a shield for a taxpayer, but it can't be a sword to be used by a taxpayer. Yeah, and, and obviously this isn't the first time we've seen this happen. As you referred to in the Glencore case, that came out of the Panama Papers leak in 2016. And what lessons do you think we can take away from that? Well, we can certainly take away the lesson that uh, the ATO has and will use the information in the Panama Papers to support its compliance activity and programs. Uh, Using the information from these leaks, uh, it's reported that the ATO has investigated around 800 individual um, Australian resident taxpayers, and inevitably some of those matters will result in complicated, drawn-out audits and very significant amended assessments, and in some more egregious cases, it may very well uh, result in referrals to the uh, Serious Financial Crime Task Force leading to criminal uh, prosecution. The ATO has also created its own online register uh, of the uh, information that it's extracted and analysed from the Pandora Papers, uh, showing the ownership of shell entities that are listed um, in this particular leak and in other ones. So, Frank, could you talk us through the ATO's um, significant information gathering and data matching powers that they they use in their compliance activities? Certainly, Todd. And the ATO has um, very wide and very expansive information and data matching uh, powers and capabilities. Uh, The ATO has uh, formal information gathering powers that are uh, provided to it by the tax legislation, uh, and that gives the commissioner the power to compel the production of documents or compel people to uh, attend an interview and uh, provide information. Um, And that can be from a wide variety of sources. Using those formal information powers, uh, the ATO can access information from uh, financial institutions, from accountants, uh, even from lawyers subject to questions of legal professional privilege. In addition to that, um, the ATO has an increasingly sophisticated uh, technological capability when it comes to data matching and um, from that uh, getting red flags uh, that can inform its compliance activity. So, for example, the um, ATO can very readily match uh, its records and data with uh, the data of state revenue authorities and uh, land titles office um, records to get information about uh, changes in the ownership of um, real property or other assets, uh, can very readily data match uh, with um, with uh, the uh, ASIC to be able to um, get information about change in shareholder details from companies. Uh, it can cross-match information with um, other um government agencies. So, for example, it can very readily access immigration records, flight records, uh, traveller cards, and so on to test people's uh, assertions about their time in Australia, for example. And also through uh, Austrac, uh, 
the ATO can get information and, a, as I say, a red flag where there have been um, transfers of uh, funds into or out of Australia uh, of an amount greater than $10,000. So if one of our listeners or one of their clients are named in the Pandora Papers, what should they do? Well, in a word, Todd, I think they should act. Um, now, uh, it would be very sensible for a person who's named in the Pandora Papers to get some uh, specialist legal advice and representation uh, and to uh, get a handle of precisely what information uh, is in the public domain about their affairs and how that uh, would match up, uh, if it does match up, with their uh, tax compliance and disclosure uh, in Australia. If there is an issue, a potential tax shortfall or previously undeclared uh, offshore income, then it would be very sensible uh, for the taxpayer to consider making a voluntary disclosure. And there is some form and some precedent for this. Uh, in uh, 2014, the ATO ran Project Do It, um, which was a uh, specific initiative targeted at uh, previously undeclared uh, offshore income. Uh, and uh, that ended up uh, yielding quite uh, a good result for um, the Commonwealth revenue uh, by bringing a lot of um, tax revenue in and a lot of assets into uh, the Australian tax net, but also for many taxpayers who were able to uh, bring their affairs uh, into a compliance state, uh, deal with a lot of long-term legacy issues, and also get uh, relief from penalties uh, through the ordinary voluntary disclosure systems. So, um, you know, do act, do be proactive. Uh, if you have a problem, the best way to deal with your problem is by way of a uh, voluntary disclosure. And um, you know, make sure that you are being guided through the process with the benefit of appropriate legal advice. All right. Thanks very much for the discussion, Frank. And thanks everyone for listening in to today's episode. The Pandora Papers have certainly stirred up a lot of interest and will no doubt see more happening in this area. Uh, we hope you'll join us for next week's episode where we'll be examining the ATO's current compliance focus in offshore and high wealth markets. If you have any questions about the Pandora Papers or their implications, please contact a member of our tax team. You can find our details on our website, hallandwilcox.com.au, or you can connect with us on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review and follow our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe on our website to be notified of new episodes. Thank you very much. Oh, that's a wrap. <laughs>